And so there is this shame now that's being directed towards Christians that says, if you're a Christian, especially an outspoken Christian, somebody who makes it obvious that they think that their way is the right way, that Jesus is the only way, that this is the the, the right way to live their life, and you try to proselytize and make other people into Christians, then then you can't sit at our table. You are not welcome here because you're one of those kind of Christians, and we don't want to have anything to do with you. It's fine. You kind of keep your, your religion to yourself. If it makes you feel better to pray, if it makes you feel better to go to church, that's fine. You can do that. But if you make this part of your public identity and you bring this out, this is triggering for me. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, Travis. How are you? I'm doing very well. How Good. about yourself? I'm doing very well. We have a, uh, a new question from a listener today. Yeah. and uh, From really... a teenage listener. I, yeah. I, I, I'm just shocked and happy that we have listeners that are under the age of 30. And so... That... I'm, I'm psyched about that. And it's a very, very good question. I can't um, wait to tell my children that there are actually teenagers that are listening to our podcast. This one's for them. You yes, got to get exactly. them to listen to the yeah. cast. Um, I'll go ahead and read the question. Okay. I was wondering if you could talk about teenagers and being proud of being a Christian. I know a lot of teenagers these days hide the fact that they are Christian or lie and say they aren't because they fear they'll lose their friends or be made fun of. I know personally I struggle with this because from time to time religion comes into the conversation, and I know a lot of teenagers and some adults fear they'll be judged based on their religious beliefs. Okay, great, great question. And great. so shout out to Olivia, and thank you, Olivia, for sending in that question. A fantastic question. And um, and I think, you know, it's interesting. She started off by saying, I was wondering if you could talk about teenagers and being proud of being a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was thinking, well, I think she means not ashamed right. of being a Christian. But even like that word proud, like I, I was thinking about that and thinking, well, should we be proud to be a Christian? And it reminded me of what Paul said. I just finished preaching about this, about boasting in Christ. And Right. There, there's one thing that we can be proud of, one thing that we can boast in, and that is that we have been saved by Jesus. Like that is yeah. our our one boast, not in anything we've done or how smart we are, or, you know, how good we are, but what Jesus has done for us. And so that we belong, the idea and the truth that we belong to Jesus. I think she's right. I think that it we should be proud of that of that fact, not in a self righteous way, but in a righteousness that comes from what. Jesus has done for us kind of a way. Um, but but I really want to start this conversation by asking sort of the flip side of it. Why is it that teens, and I think she's right, she says some adults, and I think, oh, yeah. I think it's a widespread thing. Why is it that in our culture that Christianity is seen as 
something that you should be ashamed of that you that is shameful so let's kind of talk about that for a second in fact even that idea of honor and shame i think is an important concept i may link a blog series that i did on honor and shame but but what do you think about why christians because you're a lot closer to the teenage side of the scale than i am but um as a young adult, somebody who's spent time on the West Coast, which probably gives you a, a different perspective than here that in was, Texas. That was primarily my experience with yeah. this kind of a, a discussion, because I, mean, I grew up pretty well surrounded by Christians. I mean, sure. I've worked with, with all kinds of people, but, um, you know, I was homeschooled, so homeschool activities and sporting events and things, most of that was around other Went Christians. to a Christian university Went after to a Christian school. school, yeah. Um, so really my experience with this was, like you said, living in LA and being around Hollywood types. And I remember being kind of blindsided by the fact that like, I, I was sure it was a myth mm. that like people in LA had this like prejudice against Christians. Like if you were a outspoken Christian, then you were somehow less than you were somehow stupid or you, you know, there, there, you had something to be ashamed of. Yeah. Um, and I pretty quickly experienced, you know, some awkward conversations with people. Um, but I, I would say the encouraging thing that I so told... Yeah. Let me just... Uh, this is going to turn into an interview yeah. for me interviewing Travis. <laughs> what, how would that come up in conversation? Like, how did it come up? And, and the first few times you said you were surprised. Oh, yeah. So how did it... Was it just something you were just talking about life and you mentioned your faith or they asked you about it? Or do you remember like a specific time when one of the first times that it came up and that I, you realized and were shocked that people actually looked down on you? I know one way that myself and uh, there's a good friend of mine who is here in Dallas now, but he's still to this day an actor um, and works in L.A. And he said we both had the experience of saying to somebody they're talking about life and you say, well, I'm going to pray on that for you. Oh, okay. And they're like, I, I've known plenty of non-Christians that are appreciative of that. Yeah. Sure. You know, and, and I know they're non-Christian or maybe I don't, but they, you know, eventually I find out they do and they were fine with me praying for sure. them. They understand the sentiment uh, behind it, but there were, there's times where people are offended. Wow. Like, so you no, would don't. tell somebody I'll pray for you yeah, and they're, they're like, like please don't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, they don't want anything associated with the Christian God. And that was the part that I really believe was a myth. Yeah. Like, I, I understand, you know, people not wanting to be Christians or not even having a good opinion of Christians, but actually being opposed to the self-evidently good parts of mm. of the Christian life. Like, mm -hmm. I'm going to pray, I'm going to spend time thinking about you and going to my God and right. offering up a prayer on your behalf. Like, you don't have to believe in my God for me to do that. Right. I, I, I don't believe in leprechauns, but if somebody said, I believe that <laughs> leprechauns cure diseases, and I'm yeah. going to talk to my leprechaun friends on your behalf. I'd be like, yeah, it won't hurt. I would think it was weird, and I would, I would think, I wish you wouldn't, I guess. Yeah. But I, yeah, I wouldn't tell them, please don't do that. Right. Yeah, there's almost like a the, the, the lack of politeness around it was, I think, maybe wow. the, the shocking thing. Yeah. That there was an actual antagonism not just a disagreement. Yeah. So people that prided themselves on tolerance and oh, yeah. kindness yeah. and love for neighbor, probably right. even, but would be openly hostile or antagonized by you saying that you would pray for them. Right. Because the Christian God is associated with all, you know, all the evils to them. 
Okay. You know? So yeah, let's yeah. talk about that. So like what sorts of evils are we talking like sexual ethics? Or are we talking about like crusades? Or are we talking yeah. about you know, bigotry? Like what, what sorts of things? I think if you delve deep into it, people always bring up the crusades, but, uh, or the inquisition, which are, you know, sure. It's rough. Right. Right. Like we do have to talk about that eventually. Yeah. But I think, I think it, in my experience, it mainly comes down to the sexual ethic mm, side. Yeah. Um, uh, particularly things like with homosexuality. Yeah. Um, there's a very, uh, staunch division that the, you know, those things cannot, uh, cannot coexist. And obviously that's yeah. a, that's a larger conversation in and of itself, sure. but that if you're if you're gay, like you don't want anything to do with yeah. with the Christian God. You don't want anything to do with uh, the people that yeah. have an ethic that might uh, might intrude on your lifestyle. Yeah, well, that's so interesting, and I, I wondered if that's where it would get to. And and I'm not sure, you know, if if a person finds themselves in a high school here or yeah. a middle school here, and they they feel that same hostility. But I would assume that a lot of it has to do with that. It's not necessarily well, you don't believe in, in Darwin's theory, you don't believe in evolution, or you believe in, you don't believe in that you reject the Big Bang. I think yeah. maybe there was a time when Christians were sort of rejected or looked down upon. You, you mentioned the word stupid earlier. Yeah. I, I think there was a time when that was probably the sentiment that if you were looked down on for being a Christian, it was from, from an academic standpoint. Right, and the there's creationism probably still, versus evolution, yes. yeah, intellectualism. Yeah. Right, exactly. And yeah. so I, I think that, that that's probably true in some circles, yeah. um, some academic circles where you would sort of be looked down on because you're unscientific or you, you reject these sort of pre uh, uh, presumed theories and, and things like that. Yeah. But I think now the general sentiment that is sort of anti-Christian or hostile towards Christianity probably has more to do with sexual ethics than probably anything else, yeah. sexuality and gender. Yep. And, you know, to me, on the one hand, I think that this could be surprising to a lot of Christians because, to your earlier point— there's this assumption that we live in a a fairly, and when I, I say fairly, I don't mean relatively, I mean fair, like that it's fair in the sense that our culture supposes itself to be the kind of place where we are fairly plural, pluralistic, where mm -hmm. everyone can do whatever they want to do, as long as you're not hurting me then you can do or be whatever you want to be and you can right. identify as whatever you want to identify with and and that is especially true amongst progressive type people that that would make those sorts of claims that you could be and identify as whatever you want to identify as well then we would turn around and say well can't I identify as Christian? Like, can't that be my identity? Can't that be what I choose to believe and do yeah. and practice? And if you can choose to be and do and practice what you want, then how come I can't choose to be and do and practice what I want if what I want is Christianity? How come my identity is not protected and defended the way that a, a a sexual minority or gender minority type of identity would be protected why is right. there why is that any different from the perspective of a person who claims that everyone can be whatever they want to be and i think that that sort of seeming 
it is a contradiction. <laughs> it's it's a double standard, and I think that it it's going to surprise people if they get outside of the Bible Belt or they get mm-hmm. outside of sort of a certain demographic even within the Bible Belt. To the listener's question, sure. this is high school here. Like yeah. this is this is Bible Belt. We're in we're in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, and and young people are facing this right now. You could drive five minutes from the where we're recording this and find this sentiment very strongly. Absolutely. Uh, together. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting that both that, that sort of the progressive mindset would defend not only, uh, uh identity around, uh, gender or sexuality, especially if we're talking minority views or right. minority, uh, identities, but also we talked right before we started recording about the number of Hindus and Muslims that even atheists that live in our community. And I, I assume that even though they wouldn't necessarily agree with all of the perspectives of their Muslim neighbors, they would defend mm-hmm. a, a Muslim person's right to be a Muslim. Yeah. And it wouldn't offend them if they said, I'm going to pray to Allah on your behalf. They said, thank you for that. Yeah. But it's something specific towards uh, Christianity and the Christian God. I really think that that, my suspicion is that that is about power. Mm, because yeah. I think Christians... You know, we've had a real good run. Right, like, right, right. I mean, speaking of the Crusades, it was like Christianity did become associated. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, yes. I wouldn't call it Christianity <laughs> what sometimes led to the power right. uh, that, that was garnered, but it yeah. was associated with rising right. power for a long, long time. And, yeah. and certainly in this country, it's right. been heavily a part of tradition and politics. And, and so I think Christians are associated with like, well, we're not going to be tolerant of you because it's your time. Yeah, like it's right. it's it's your time to feel the sting of of intolerance. Right. right. That's that's my suspicion. Yeah, absolutely. So there there is a bit of of vindictiveness yeah. that's part of this conversation that that it's not just about our views because we would share at least in theory, not not to say every practicing Muslim or every practicing Jewish person would have the same views on sexuality and these kinds right. of things, but a lot of religious people would have very similar types of views, but there's something specific to Christianity yeah. that raises people's frustration and anger towards us. And I think you're exactly right. I think it it has been the fact that in the West, Christianity has enjoyed a privileged position, yeah. and that's changing and shifting. And so that that's beginning to to go away. And and there's now it's sort of the pendulum has swung and and it's it's this anger and frustration and i think too i think another thing to realize and and i i say all of this because i think we need to be really clear about the world that we're navigating and especially our young people again to the listener's question mm-hmm. in high school in middle school in colleges if people are moving to the east coast or the west coast about how difficult, or even in the workplace, even in Dallas, how how difficult it is to be a Christian in these types of environments. Part of the reason for that is that we have made the idea of self absolutely into an idol. Um, I, I even heard the the term the other day on a podcast: the idolatry of identity, the mm-hmm. idea that who I feel that I am, my internal sense of self. And again, this applies to sexuality and gender and to just a whole lot of things. Um, I recently finished um, a very interesting book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. 
excellent book. If you kind of want to understand where are we, how did how did we get here? This idea of the way that people think about themselves. It's a really helpful historical book. It's kind of it's kind of it's kind of rough. It's a little bit rough, um, just as far as the sort of the dogmatism of the book. But but I think it's really helpful to kind of understand why for so many modern people, especially young people, and especially, again, outside of the Bible Belt, there is this perspective about the self that that is absolutely a god. It is absolutely their idol. And the this book that, that I just finished, it, it calls it the therapeutic self. Mm. And the whole idea is that authenticity is one of the most important things to modern people. And by authenticity, what they mean is who I really am on the inside needs to be expressed on the outside. And I will not allow myself to be shamed by someone else who makes me feel bad about expressing on the outside who I feel I am on the inside. And I think that's exactly why Christianity becomes a target because Christianity imposes restrictions on what we what we do on the outside. It says, yes, we have feelings on the inside. We have desires, we have passions, we have wants, but not all of those things are good. Not all of those things should be affirmed. Not all of those things should be expressed. Some of those things should be denied. Yeah. The idea of self-denial is seen as neurosis it's seen as something that's bad and harmful like you should never deny yourself right but christianity is all about self-denial um now i do think we christians have gone too far in trying to insist that everyone else deny themselves we we need to focus on denying ourselves and taking the log out of our own eye before we start worrying about the speck in someone else's eye but christianity is seen as enforcing these outside rules and restrictions and keeping people from being able to express their authentic self. And they, so many young people today, the modern person sees that as hypocrisy. The the inability to express their inner self, their authentic self, their true self, they see that as being inauthentic, being a hypocrite, being a liar. They see it as a matter of morality to be able to express on the outside what they feel on the inside. I heard a great, I've heard several versions of like a great perspective on like um, the messenger and the message not always being in simpatico Mm. and I heard somebody tell a story one time about their uh, their father passed away, and uh, as they're sort of handling his affairs and and dealing with his estate uh, in in the aftermath, they, you know they found some things, and they you know they weren't it was anything you know you know too too horrible, but they found some things where he would never have advised them to mm. his kids to get involved with that he did, and it you know that that hurts a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think when when that happens, whether they're whether they're alive or they're or they've passed away, um, but the perspective this person telling the story had on it was was really interesting to me. That you could call it hypocrisy, or you could call it he's trying to point you in a better direction. Mm-hmm. And so, to 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 relate that to this idea that you know, well, 
Christians have the same sinful nature and Christians mm. and struggle with the same sins as everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's like, like you said, that's man, that's something we got to work on. It's mm-hmm. something I got to work on. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like when we talk. I think I think a good talking point for us in relationship to the culture is like the reason we preach about values, the reason we talk about sin and 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 turning away from it, even though we struggle with mm-hmm. it, is. You know, you say this as a preacher. I've heard a lot of preachers and teachers say this. Like, I'm talking to you guys as much as me. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And and, and I, I always like it when when somebody says that because yeah. it's it it reminds us that we're all in this together. Yeah. And even though sometimes the message and the messenger aren't the same, mm-hmm. the ultimate goal is we're trying to we're trying to aim everybody up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do agree with what you said that the. You know, starting with ourselves is obviously yeah. the, the the Christ-centered way to do it. Yeah. Well, there's two things there. I think there, there you you point out two good things there. One is the fact that we haven't we haven't always lived up to the standard that we've preached. Yeah. And sometimes we've been like the the people that brought the woman caught in adultery, and we're trying to stone someone else when we actually have sins ourselves that need to be repented of. And and the world is right in pointing that out that we need to we need to you know he who is without the without sin cast the first stone right on the other hand there's also something fundamental about our message that the world disagrees with the idea that we are preaching a message that says i have certain desires which not only am i not going to act upon but you shouldn't act upon your desires either <laughs> they see that not just not just my preaching or teaching or our failure to live up to our certain standard they see the standard itself as wrong as being harmful yeah. as being it being as something bad and immoral to use religious language on their behalf because i think that that's always helped me understood the culture to use religious language it's a it's a sin to contradict your your yes. identity yourself yes. your feelings that's exactly right they yeah. see that as a sin yeah. to contradict their feelings they see salvation as the ability to be able to be the person on the outside that they are on the inside. And they to, see that as salvation. We see yeah. that as toxic, as self-destructive. So there is an incompatibility with our ideology and theirs. And to do things without shame. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because because there's that idea that I am this person on the inside. And when I live that out and you don't affirm me or accept me, then you're making me feel ashamed of who I really am. Now, what they're doing, though, is they're turning the shame around, and they're saying, you are not going to fit in in our culture. We are going to disallow you to be part of our culture as long as you hold to that ideology that won't accept me or affirm me. And if you won't accept me for who I am, I mean, they use language like, this is violence towards me. Yeah. Like you're being violent towards me because you won't accept me for who I am. It's not enough that we be kind, nice, that you have to accept me for who I am because otherwise you're ignoring me. You're denying my existence. You're shaming me. You have to live in their reality with them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Because again, they feel like their inner self, their feelings, mm-hmm. their mindset, their their hopes and dreams and wants. And again, we all have those. We all have mm-hmm. an internal self. But the Christian message says the internal self is as likely wrong as it is right, and that it needs to be denied, and that 
we need a new self, not a true self, <laughs> that, that we're moving towards a new self in Christ and not the what we what some would refer to as the true self or the authentic self. And so they look at our message of self-denial as harmful, not only harmful to ourselves, but also harmful to them, and that it's keeping them from being saved. And by saved, they mean being able to express their inner self. So I think just just understanding that is really helpful. When we come back from the break, we'll talk about how do we navigate a world where we're being shamed for what we believe. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, so we keep using this word shame, and I think it's really important for us to define shame because I think it's so important for this conversation. I like to define shame in, in contrast with guilt because guilt and shame typically get used synonymously, but they're actually a little bit different. Guilt is, I've done something wrong. Shame is, I don't feel like I belong. Um, I, that's how I remember them. That's a nice um, and so, so shame is about belonging. It's about acceptance, which is again, why in our culture, shame is also associated with something is wrong with me. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of good work that's gone on with shame and, and how shame is, is toxic and how it's harmful. But again, we have come to internalize this idea that you are your deepest feelings, your deepest wants, your deepest desires. That's who you really are. And we have come to accept that people around you should accept you for what you really feel and what you really think and what you really want and what you really desire, that people should accept you as that version of yourself. And if they don't, then they're bad because they're shaming you and they're not allowing you at their table because they're, they won't accept you for who you are. Now, I will say, obviously, there have been tons of times where, where there has been a toxic, destructive use of shame, even amongst Christian people. Yeah. I mean, you can look back at the first century world and the people who were tax collectors and quote unquote sinners, they were all being shamed, not because of what they felt on the inside, but because of what they had done. And because of what they had done, because they had collected taxes for Rome, because they had prostituted themselves, because they had, whatever they had done, they were rejected by the community and they weren't allowed to sit at their table anymore. They weren't allowed to be part of the community anymore and they were shaming them. Shame is meant to be coercive. And again, in our culture today that says, you have to accept me for who I am. When they feel like, when a person feels like they're being shamed, they feel like they're being told, you have to conform to our expectations in order to be part of our group. Now, we could talk about the good uses of that and the bad uses of that. But specifically, now we're, we're talking about as Christians. As Christians, Olivia is asking the question, I'm being shamed. 
We as Christians are being shamed. Now we are being told that because you hold to this ideology of self-denial, you hold to this ideology of sin, you hold to this ideology of repentance and, and, and denying your feelings and your desires, and you make us feel ashamed by your Christian community over here, now we're going to shame you. And again, there's the, a little bit of this vindictiveness. That's not always true, but there is some vindictiveness here. And, and so there is this shame now that's being directed towards Christians that says, if you're a Christian, especially an outspoken Christian, somebody who makes it obvious that they think that their way is the right way, that Jesus is the only way, that this is the, the, the right way to live their life, yeah. and you try to proselytize and make other people into Christians, then then you can't sit at our table. You are not welcome here because you're one of those kind of Christians and we don't want to have anything to do with you. It's fine. You kind of keep your, your religion to yourself. If it makes you feel better to pray, if it makes you feel better to go to church, that's fine. Right. You can do that. But if you make this part of your public identity and you bring this out, there's too much. This is triggering for me. There's going to be consequences, right? And yeah. so, so you, you maybe again, if you work in some place like Hollywood, it may mean that you don't get jobs. It may mean yeah. that you you don't get to participate in things that other people do. You can't network the way other people network. It can have consequences in high schools. It can have consequences all over the place. And this is this is a type of shaming because it is intended, whether consciously or subconsciously, to be coercive to say. You need to give up your archaic, bigoted, repressive, oppressive yeah. ideology, or else you can't be a part of civilized society. Mm -hmm. That you need to give up that, and you need to come in with the rest of us and and accept us for who we really are. And if you aren't affirming of us and aren't accepting of us. And again, I'm not just talking about sexual and gender issues. I'm talking about all kinds of different ideologies that in our modern world, it's it's becoming increasingly more um, prevalent that Christian people are shamed for being outspoken Christians. And again, I'm not trying to give cover to Christian jerks, because that, oh, I, yeah. I, I hope that people understand that this podcast is all about learning to love like Jesus. But again, it, it goes back, and this is really what I want to get to. First Peter, read First Peter. This is exactly the type of world that the people to whom Peter was writing, that they were living in too. Most of our brothers and sisters throughout history have been shamed by their communities. But to your earlier point, Christians have enjoyed a position of privilege in the Western world for so long, it's shocking to us to be shamed, to be publicly shamed. We use the word cancel as if it's something new, but being canceled is nothing new. The Pharisees were canceling tax collectors a long time ago. You know, plenty of Christian communities canceled people for their behavior or whatever they've done. And now Christians, just like in the first century, are being canceled. You can't work. You can't. You can't be part of the community. Your your friends are going to disown you because you're a follower of Jesus. Peter writes this letter to Christians who are absolutely shocked that this is happening to them. And Peter says, don't be surprised. Yeah. Don't be surprised when this happens. This is exactly what's going to happen. And he asks a question. Um, for This is 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13, probably a passage many are familiar with. 
He says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And I mean, that's a legitimate question. And it's true. It's true all over the world, even on the West Coast and on the East Coast, that for the most part, for the most part, you, you, you love your neighbor, you're kind, you're generous, you're helpful. People are going to appreciate that. Um, they, may, they may think you're weird. They may think that you're an oddball, but they're, they're going to appreciate that. Nobody's going to cancel you or shame you because you're zealous for what is good. But Peter's also a realist. And he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We often quote that, be ready to to give a defense and and think that, you know, that he's talking, you know, about people that are just curious about Christianity. Oh, Christianity, tell me about that. He's specifically talking about people that want to shame you, want to cancel you, want to laugh at you, mock you, disown you, kick you out of the family, kick you out of the um the the organization, the the business, the family business, whatever it was. They were suffering these kinds of things in the first century. It was before they were being fed to the lions. It was before they were being impaled. Those things would come later. But they're being they're being mocked. They're being shamed. They're, they're being told, you don't belong. As long as you worship this Jesus, as long as you don't worship our gods and do things the way that we do things, or you don't hold to our traditions, you're out. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And he says, when they ask you a reason for the hope that's within you, why, why do you keep doing this? Like even after everything you've lost, why do you keep doing this? Be prepared to give a defense and do it with gentleness and respect. And so he tells them over and over again in First Peter, don't be surprised when they reject you and don't feel like something is broken. Like, oops, God messed up. This right. wasn't supposed to be the way it was. Expect this kind of treatment. It's not always going to happen. You don't have to have like a martyr complex, but you do have to realize there's going to be times where you're hated for doing what's right and good. And when they, when they ask you, why do you, why do you hold on to this? Why do you keep doing this? Be prepared to give an answer and do it with gentleness and respect. He says, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, when you're slandered, those who revile, that means to like abuse you verbally, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Like, eventually they will be put to shame for the shame that they're trying to cast on you. Mm -hmm. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So essentially he says throughout the book of First Peter, do good and be prepared to tell people why you're doing it. Do it in the name of Jesus. Don't be surprised and and don't, don't allow their shame to coerce you into doing what's wrong. And I think this gets to the heart of, of our listener's question that there is this temptation to just say nothing. Keep your mm-hmm. faith to yourself because that's that's what they want you to do. They, they want you to be ashamed of your religion so that you either don't talk about it or you don't actually practice it. And I mean, and I'll, I'll be absolutely honest, I, I didn't live in a sort of like progressive you know, type of a, a culture where the sexual ethics were frowned upon or whatever. I was shamed for being a Christian. Right. Most kids at my high school would have claimed to be Christian. But if 
if I didn't use the profanity that they used, if I didn't go to the parties that they went to, if I didn't sleep around the way that they did, if I didn't do these kinds of things, or at least act like I was okay with it and laugh at the jokes that they told and, and sort of added my own colorful whatever in there, then they would mock me for being self-righteous or uh, goody goody or holier than thou. And the, the intention of that type of shaming is to coerce you to go along because Peter says they're surprised when you don't join them in the flood of debauchery. They're surprised when you don't go along with them and they want you to go along. And in order to go along, you have to change what you believe. You have to change what you practice. You have to change all of these truths and abandon those things and go along with the crowd. And Peter is encouraging them, stay strong, do good, love these people, be gentle and kind to them, be respectful towards them, but do not allow them to coerce you with their shame. Yeah. You know, another piece of encouragement, something that's really been helpful to me on, on, on this topic and really just, um, especially the last couple of years where there have been, people have been getting more and more, you mentioned canceling, mm-hmm. uh, and people have in general just been getting more and more like heated. Yeah. You know, we don't have uh, debates anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, it's, it's, it's war. Not the it's, free exchange of ideas. You know, it's yeah. like somebody's going to fly off the handle, if right. not everybody. Yeah. And one thing I've been reminded of, whether it's my faith or it's an opinion I hold or is if I'm sure of it, if I'm sure of what I believe in, mm-hmm. then I'm perfectly comfortable with discussing differences, differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not offended at all when somebody talks about their Muslim faith or right. their Buddhist faith or their Jewish faith. I, that doesn't offend. I'm actually right. fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm able to be that way because I'm I'm sold on this Jesus guy. Right. Like I think I'm going to keep going along yeah. with him. Yeah. And so I think, and whether it's somebody of another faith or it's somebody in the secular culture that is offended by the sexual ethics that you hold, is offended by the way you want to live your life. And even if you're not outwardly dismissive and judgmental towards people, that you that there's an there's a implicit understanding between both parties that you're not in approval of mm-hmm. the way they choose to live their life, the way they identify themselves. If somebody is like that and they are antagonistic in a way that is 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 sometimes mean and and nasty and mm-hmm. i mean i th- i think that i mean i i remember being a kid kids sometimes can be really mean <laughs> and adults can sometimes be really mean oh, for sure and if somebody's doing that that doesn't necessarily mean you're right all the time mm-hmm. but i think it, it it's a good marker mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good marker because i know when i'm sure of something and when I feel like I've got a good foundation in something, particularly my faith, I, I'm perfectly open to people mm-hmm. objecting to it, to questioning it, to questioning me about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, like Peter says, like, have a defense ready. Like, I, I, I'm not going to get it right every time. I'm mm-hmm. going to slip up on my words. But, I mean, I've had some great conversations with people where I've stopped and gone, like, I didn't even know I had that in me. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that must be the spirit, because yeah. I know I'm not that yeah. that smart or that eloquent. But... um I mentioned earlier that, you know, when I was in L.A., there would be conversation starters. You know, sometimes it would get awkward. Mm -hmm. The the flip side of that that was actually encouraging to me 
was the fact that, and th- this happened all the time with this ring that I wear. My dad got me this this ring. It's got a cross on it. It's mm-hmm. pretty subtle. It's not in anybody's face, but people would see it, mm-hmm. and they would immediately, everybody would question to what level did I mean it? Like, did uh, I mean yeah. wearing this? You yeah. know, was it just like a decoration thing, yeah. like a fashion statement? Yeah. It was like the cross tattoo that, you know, exactly. kind of looked cool, but it was. Yeah. Right. And so then the conversation would start, and sometimes I'd have an awkward discussion where somebody was like, well, what are you doing here? Mm, <laughs> what are you yeah. doing in L.A.? And then sometimes I would find, like, secret Christians, mm. <laughs> people who, and I had several people, this happened several times, where people would say, like, you know, I don't get to talk to anybody about my faith. Wow. Because I've had it just go wrong so many times. Yeah. And that, like, that was like, it, it, it became like almost like a self-selecting mm. process where I would naturally kind of meet people who mm-hmm. were serious about their faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and people that, that were an- antagonistic towards my faith, um, you know, we got that discussion out of the way early. Mm-hmm. We didn't, I didn't have to like be friends with them for a while. And yeah. then the eruption, yeah. it was like, we, we could have sort of a mildly awkward discussion as strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I could be, you know, I, I've also known a lot of people who've had those, you know, heated interactions and awkward discussions with people who are antagonistic towards their faith. And then something happens in that you know, the person who was heated and, you know, the, the, the person who was hateful about Christianity and towards that person, they end up coming back hmm. <laughs> when something happens in their life because they remember there's somebody they met that they could count on. Yeah. I, I know I've, I've heard uh, many stories like that. Yeah. So anyway, just a couple hopefully encouraging things yeah, on, absolutely. on that front. When, and I think going back to that idea of that confidence that you can have that I, I often think about Hebrews 12 Jesus despised the shame of the cross mm-hmm. meaning that he wasn't coerced by the shame of the world they tried to shame Jesus into silence they tried to shame him into denying who he was um, and, but yet he had this confidence to go through with it even though they humiliated him in the most shameful way possible with the cross and he despised their shame. He Not that he despised them. He didn't hate them. He died for them. But he despised their shame. He wasn't going to be coerced by it. It's the idea that you just mentioned that it, it's okay. If you don't like me because I'm a Christian, I'm perfectly okay with that. Yeah. And the only way that we can have that confidence, that we can boast in Christ, is that we recognize that Jesus takes away our shame. That we have a place where we do belong I belong in the courts of God. I belong in the city of God. I belong at Abraham's table. I belong at Isaac's table. I belong at Jacob's table. I belong at David's table. I belong at Jesus' table. This is what the Hebrew writer is laying out in Hebrews 11. He's saying, you are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. You are surrounded by all of these people who did exactly what you're doing right now. They lived in a world where they weren't accepted. They lived in a world where they were rejected. They lived in a world where they were shamed, but yet they had the confidence to walk by faith and not by sight because they knew they did belong. They belonged in the city of God. And that's what Christians today have to recognize. It's okay if I live in LA and I'm not accepted because God accepts me. 
The church accepts me. Jesus accepts me. The, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And so to know I do belong, the, the, the people in the, in the culture, in the world, they have to be affirmed. They have to be accepted. They have to, they have to have people say, you're good enough. You belong. You can sit at our table because they have to have someone that says that to them. So do we. We have to have somebody who says that to us. We yeah. have to have somebody who will take away our shame. We, but we just have to stop looking at the people around us to take away our shame. I don't have to be accepted by any of you. If you reject me, okay, I, I'm sorry. I would love for us to get along. I'd love for us to sit at the same table. But if you shame me, I know that God accepts me. I know that God welcomes me. I know that the spirit lives within me. And so I can have the confidence to be shamed in the world because I know I belong to him. Uh, Hebrews 13. Again, this is what the whole book of Hebrews is about. It's what the whole book of 1 Peter is about. Hebrews 13 says, Therefore, let us go to Jesus, him, outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. He says, it's okay if you don't fit in in earthly Jerusalem. Earthly Jerusalem isn't our home. Our home is the heavenly Jerusalem. That's the city that is to come. You have a home, you have a city, but it's not this city. So if, if Dallas doesn't accept you, if LA doesn't accept you, if Washington DC doesn't accept you, if New York doesn't accept you, if Tulsa doesn't accept you, if you're not accepted by your, your community, who cares? You, you belong in the city of God. And so God's people need to be constantly reminded you do belong. You, you do have a place. Your shame is taken away because we feel it every day and we're social creatures. We want to have a table to sit at. We want to be accepted. We want to belong. And eventually, if we don't feel like we belong, we will compromise. Yeah. The, I, I, I've often said that the, the desire to belong can lead us to do wrong. We, we will eventually do wrong in order to belong. So we have to be reminded you do belong. You have a place where you are accepted and you are loved because of what Jesus has done for you. And then that allows us to go back to the things we were talking about before, self-denial, to live not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, not to try to be our authentic self or true self or express our inner self but to allow Jesus through the spirit to transform us because we belong at his table. And it's, it's rejecting the world's shame and say, I will not be coerced by your shame so that we can have the glory and the honor that comes from God. This is what Jesus rebuked the people of his day for. Who do you want to honor you? Everybody is looking for honor. Everybody is looking for acceptance. Everybody's looking for affirmation. It, it's There's nobody that, I mean, people say all the time, I think for myself, I don't need anybody to affirm me. It's like, yes, you do. Everybody does. We're social creatures. We need someone to accept us and affirm us. The question is, are you looking for God's honor and glory and acceptance? Or are you looking for the world's acceptance and honor and glory? The, the people around us, and have compassion on them have mercy on them they they're they want you to affirm them because they they want to be loved they want to be accepted they don't have anyone else to accept them they they need people to accept them and we have someone to accept us it's god hmm. and so we can have the confidence to say i'm going to be who he calls me to be 
I'm going to live out this life of a disciple because he accepts me and he loves me and I'm treasured and, and I belong to him. And so we don't have to have the affirmation or acceptance of the people around us the way that others do because we have the acceptance and affirmation of God. Well, and, and I think to your point you just made about, you know, if, if people are, they want you to accept them, they, mm-hmm. they, they want to you to make them feel like they belong. Yes, That, yeah. that they belong. Um, that That's, uh, I think, a really important thing to understand with, with people. When someone's sinning and asking you to participate, it's like, I, remember that we're image bearers of God. Yes. We're not meant to do those things. Right. So I... You know, you, you mentioned the difference between guilt and shame, and and it, it would it's I'm I'm thankful that I feel guilt. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! It would be far more terrifying yeah. to not feel it. Right. And I have a suspicion I can't get inside their heads, but I have a suspicion that when people are again antagonistic towards somebody about their faith, mm-hmm. it's like yeah, because they're insecure about it. Right. They're insecure about their right. own lifestyle and their own decisions. Sure. And. You know, it goes back to what I mentioned before about being secure. Like we, I, I don't always do things perfect, but I know who's got my back, That's right. and I know who I'm who I'm trying to emulate. Yeah. And th- th- this explosion of, of like you said, the, I, I love the word you use that authenticity. Mm-hmm. That that's become the most important virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, be, this explosion of identity mm-hmm. and the, the the emphasis placed on it and mm-hmm. affirming and being affirmed. It's like it's they're searching they're searching for a god mm-hmm. oh, they're absolutely. searching for someone to absolutely. accept them and yes. and and have their back yeah yeah and the same thing we all desire yeah yeah and so I, and I'm particularly thinking as we you know as we kind of get to the end here I'm particularly thinking about somebody who's young somebody you know like Olivia writing this this question I, it's not I wouldn't say it's easy now <laughs> I don't know how you feel mm-hmm. we're you know we're kind of staggered from you know, I'm not a teenager. I'm in my 20s. You're a little bit older than me. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say it's easy now to not be so shaken by, oh, I shared my faith and they weren't all that psyched about it. Mm-hmm. But I do know it was harder oh. when I was younger. Oh, I struggled mightily. Yeah. I, I I fell away because of this. I yeah. mean, I, I absolutely apostized because of this. I fell away from, from the church. I still went to church, but I, I conformed. Because yeah. I wanted desperately to fit in. And part of that, I think, not to interrupt your thought, but part of that, I think, is what makes it easier over time is surrounding ourselves with flesh and blood people yeah. who are accepted by God and accept me in the name of God. And yeah. so we have an actual community to belong to. It's one thing to just theoretically say, well, if I confess Jesus before people, he will confess me before my fa- before his father. So I'm accepted by him. Yeah, that's great, and I need that, and that needs to be my ultimate confidence, but it's really hard to actually live that out unless I have the embodied people of God, the church, who actually bring me in and accept me and love me and affirm me and give me a place in community so that I know my shame has been taken away. I know that I'm accepted. I know that I'm loved, not just in theory, but in reality. And that's why it's so important for us to help people that are struggling 
with with sin and temptation that are looking for acceptance. They're looking for community, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways. We need to show them a place where they can belong and and bring them into the church and into God's acceptance. Well, and on that note, the the discussion about identity, Mm -hmm. the the explosion of the amount of identities people claim to, to have is remarkable, but it reminds me of the fact that not only do we have an identity in Christ, our identity is primarily in Christ, mm-hmm. and you you said it before, less of self, more you know, more of yeah. thee, or something like that. Um, but I also think it's interesting the 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 way that we talk about the identity in Christ. We're uh, we're children of God. Mm-hmm. Like there are there are identities associated with being in Christ's family, mm-hmm. and we first of all we call it a family. We're yeah. children of God. We're yeah. brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our father. Like it's what we're, you're not just looking for like this socialite experience where you have like there's strangers and acquaintances and Mm -hmm. you know, that's, you're not trying to like build this like layered life where, you know, uh, you're, you're looking for family. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I'm ultimately getting at. You're, you're looking for the kinds of relationships that emulate what a family is supposed to be like. And that's that brothers and sisters in Christ is those people that they will, they'll affirm you, but they'll also call you out. Right, right. They'll encourage you. As any yeah. community does. Yeah. As any community does. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that the, the, the explosion of identity seems to me, and I don't think it's any, it's any wonder why this is also, I think, another big part of what's going wrong in our culture is we're like the, the family, the very concept of the family is being devalued. Not just at the actual family level, but as a, as an identity, mm. like because that and and it's interesting to me that throughout Scripture that is how we talk about people who are of the Lord, mm-hmm. who are following the Lord. Is mm-hmm. it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a family, and a family is not just somebody who affirms you, mm-hmm. somebody who challenges you, mm-hmm. corrects you, encourages you, all mm-hmm. of those things. Um, but that's it's it's not somebody who's just going to give you whatever identity that you desire. Well, yeah, and I mean, and and if you go back to the first century world, family identity was so important. It was so important yeah. what tribe you came from, what clan you came from, what nation you come from, what ethnic group you belong to. All of these things were very core to their identity, and they were being shamed. Once they started following Jesus, they were being shamed by the communities that they valued so much. They were being kicked out of their family, their tribe, their clan, their nation, their their ethnic group. They were kicked out of those communities. So it was so important for the church to be that that surrogate family, that new family, that new nation, that new ethnic group in Christ, and that we would bring one another in and remove the shame by accepting each other in Christ. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.